Good morning, Foundation Church. Listen, it's so good to see you all today. I hope everybody had an incredible, incredible Thanksgiving. I got something to share with you. We have discovered the new Thanksgiving food. It is brisket. My wife's uncle fixed a brisket yesterday. I'm telling you, game changer. It should be the new turkey. I'm telling you, but I hope you all had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. We wanted to begin today just a little bit different as we go through the Thanksgiving season. Me and my wife both, we just want to say just how thankful that we are just for every single person here with us at Foundation Church. It is an honor to get to serve you. It is an honor to get to do what God has called us to do here in Carter County. And there's no other place I'd rather be maybe except for Hilton Head a few more times throughout the throughout the year, but this is a beautiful place to be, place where God has called us, and we are excited for, for what God has in store for us here and what God has in store for our community, to literally see light come in to the darkness that we see all throughout this community, all throughout the city. God has us here, and we are thankful to be here with you. But we also wanted to share just a little bit. Listen, what we have got to see over the past, you know, uh, seven, eight months as we have stepped into Foundation Church is just got to see God do some incredible things incredible things. But I want to share today a little bit more of who we are as a church. You see, over the past year, you've got to see us experience or do a couple of things that may be unique. We actually canceled a few Sunday services to go out and to serve in our community. We truly believe that God has called us here to add value to our community, to be the hands and feet of Jesus by helping local organizations, local nonprofits meet the needs that they have. But then also as a church, we truly believe in, in being generous, not only with our time, but also with our resources. What God has blessed us, we give back in return. A part of our budget that we set up is we give back 10% of all tithes back to a generosity fund that goes outside of the walls of our church. 10% goes directly outside. And it's been incredible to see Andrew Robinson. He is our he is our financial director here at the church. And we were sitting at the table just looking at what God has just provided us as a church, just smiling, getting excited about how we can continue to just be generous, to add value back to our community. But we also, during this time, we want to continue to challenge you to look outward. I don't know about you, but Black Friday deals came on my phone too. Amazon was good this year. Walmart was pretty good too. Uh, and it's, uh, it's going to be a good Christmas, right? Everything in us, though, in our culture tells us to look so inward. Find the best deal, get the best gifts for our kids. But during this time, we want to challenge you. I want to challenge myself to continue to look outward. And so this year, we're doing a year-end offering that's going to be taking place next week and the weeks after. And this year-end offering is a time and an opportunity for us as a church to think not only about what we can receive and give, but to think more about how we can continue to be generous to our community and help meet needs. And so today, I just want to take a moment, just share with you what this looks like for our church. We're going to be partnering with three organizations and so two will be financial gifts, or th all three will be financial gifts, but then there's also going to be another one, another way that you can serve. The first one is we're going to be helping Sunrise Children's. It's a foster care agency. It's a Christian foster care agency to provide a good Christmas 
for a handful of kids, about 20 kids that are in desperate need. Uh, it's a common thought is that foster care oftentimes is that there's plenty of resources that come in for those foster families, but oftentimes that is not the case. And so we're going to be giving a financial gift to Sunrise Children's to help them throw an incredible Christmas party for this group of kids to make their Christmas just a little bit more special. That's more regionally. We also wanted to think globally. How can our, how can our generosity go beyond just the, the, the walls of our country to actually go out to those that are doing the Lord's work in other countries? And we are partnering with Donette Bondurant's son-in-law and daughter who are in the country of Georgia, who are literally proclaiming the gospel, who played a huge part in getting, getting refugees out of Ukraine into safety. I mean, it's unbelievable the work they are doing in teaching and raising up the next generation of Bible scholars and teachers, and part of that financial gift will go there. But then on the local end, where will your generosity go? It's going to go once again to the Carter County Schools. And so if this sounds repetitive, this is the door that the God continues to open for us. Where is their need? We continue to find that through our youth service centers that the doors continue to open. And one of the needs that we see is that they want Christmas gifts to be provided for a group of students, the same ones that we helped often with the backpack program. But we wanted to go a little bit more beyond just having a good Christmas because as we know in Kentucky, the weather change and the weather changes fast. And the one thing that breaks my heart more than anything is to see a child without a jacket and without a good pair of shoes. And so as part of what we are doing this year, we're partnering with a youth service center to provide 100 kids, is what we think the number will be, 100 kids with a new jacket and a new pair of shoes. And so this year, if you're looking at a way or a way to buy for another child beyond your family, this is the way. This is the way that we want to do that. But then we also know 100 kids, that is a lot of money if you do the math. And so part of the financial donation will also go to supplementing whatever gifts that we maybe can't provide. So here's what I want to challenge you with today is to begin to pray, to begin to think about what does this look like for your family this Christmas? Once again, all of this is going outside of the walls to challenge you, to challenge me. How can we continue in a season that tries to pull us so inward Begin to think outward to those that have needs. And here's the other thing I want to challenge you with is to bring your best. If you pick up a child and we're buying a coat and a pair of shoes, it should be better than what you're wearing. It should be better. We want to be a church that is known by bringing our best. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like the ones that's like, well, I got this one out of the closet that I haven't worn in three years. This will do. No, bring your best. Buy better than what you would wear. That's who we want to be. That's what we want to do. And so your challenge today and over the next week, pray. Just simply pray. What would it look like for you and your family to be generous this Christmas to help those who have a specific need, to help ministries beyond just what we have here? Just pray. Just pray. We are excited for this time. We're excited for this challenge that we have put upon our church and upon ourselves. And may God, here's the most important part, may God get the glory. May we have relationships that begin to open. May doors continue to be, be open that allows us, beyond just meeting needs, begin to share love and hope to those in our community. So go home, pray. Next week we'll have more to share with it. But we are excited, all right? Now, who's ready? 
today to dive into God's word. Come on, let's just get yourself going. Who's ready? Yeah, little clap there. Let's go. We're in Matthew. Man, we've been having some fun in Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. We are continuing in this journey, continuing to ask this question that Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And before we go in there, I just want to share just a little bit of kind of where we're going for today. You ever just had a moment a moment in your life, well, I'm not even going to ask, have you? Because I already know you have. We all have moments in our life that come where something happens in our life that begins to shift our perspective, that begins to shift our values, begins to shift our understanding of maybe how the world works or maybe challenges us with what we used to believe and then gives us new insight. Let me give you just three short stories. So when we moved to our home in 2019, there was all sorts of brush everywhere. And so one of the first things that we did, we collected the brush, piled it all up. Well, my father-in-law, like I said, this is four years ago, so please, Lord, help me as I continue to grow and just understanding the ways the world works. He would always bring out, whenever he was burning brush, this red bucket. And then he would pour it on the fire. I'm like, well, I got a red bucket. And so I grabbed my red container. Everybody know what my red container contained? Gas. And so I was like, this is what Dave does. This must be the way in which we do things. And so I grabbed that gas can. I poured some gas on it. I had the lighter in my hand. And I went to go like that. I was like, mm, better give some space. So I grabbed an envelope. An envelope. What an idiot, right? An envelope. Imagine that. Just 12 inches. And I lit it and put it on it. And you all know exactly what happened next. I lost my eyebrows for about three weeks. Woof, just right back up into my face. Moral of the story is Dave's gas can or Dave's red container had kerosene. Very, very different stuff. Very, very different stuff. Now I know gasoline is not what you burn brush with. Now I know my mind has been changed now forever. Do not do that. Word of wisdom, kerosene works. The second one, there's a moment, if anybody's been to New York City, there's a Metropolitan Museum of Art. And maybe you're thinking, well, that sounds really boring. Well, I thought the same thing. Until I walked into the Met and literally I see for the first time, you can look it up later, it is, it is George Washington crossing the Delaware and it is a painting. And I'm not kidding guys, whenever I've see, seen it like you know, on, on a picture, I thought it was just you know, like a five by, five by three, something not very big. No, it is as big as this stage and go, would reach the entire ceiling. And the first time I seen it, I was like, whoa. That's incredible. It stood there for like 30 minutes, changed the way in which I see art and the way I see the metropolitan. I'm like, that's the place. It is incredibly awesome now. And then the third one to all the dads in the room, when I had a son, my life completely changed. I thought I knew what fathering was until you actually have a father, you have no idea. And then you step into that world and your world is completely changed. It's like the whole center of your world now revolves around just these little beings. We have moments that change our perspective. We have moments that challenge our core beliefs, challenge who we are, how we've lived, our values. They bring light and life, oftentimes, these new things. Today, I hope is one of those moments for you. Today, I hope that this is one of these enlightening moments for you, that you begin to see clearly with new and fresh eyes what Jesus is all about and what the Gospel of Matthew 
is proclaiming. Here we go. If you have your Bibles, chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, it says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me just catch you up to where we have been all the way up into this point. So we started in Matthew. We've seen the proclamation of the angels to Joseph and Mary that they would give, that they would, she would have a son. They would call his name Emmanuel, that they should call him Jesus and that he would save his people from his sins. And we see then the birth story and we see the wise men come. But then we also see that Herod comes and tries to destroy the child. And so we see the great escape that happens during that. So immediately Jesus is born and he already has persecution come against him. And then we see almost 30 years of silence where we don't hear a whole lot about the Lord at all, about Jesus, until the proclamation of John the Baptist, who almost says the exact same words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but it's not with him, it's with the one to come. And then the one then comes on the scene, his name Jesus, who then is immediately baptized by John. And whenever he is baptized, the heavens open up where where God literally proclaims, this is my beloved son of who I'm well pleased. This incredible proclamation. But then immediately he is led into the wilderness to be tempted and tried by the devil. Three tests he is given, three temptations he is given, and to all three he succeeds to where he proclaims over the devil, flee from me, Satan. And he is then comforted by the angels. And then here we are. Jesus now begins his ministry. Jesus now begins proclaiming himself. He begins to have his own proclamations. This is at a time John the Baptist is now in in jail. His ministry has basically come to an end. And Jesus has gone from Nazareth to Galilee, which is like a fishing town. Lots of people, lots of commerce. And he begins to proclaim some new words to them. So much so, and so much that these were brand new, or even words that maybe they had even hoped for, that the whole towns began to stir. The empty synagogues now became full because every time that Sabbath would come, he would go and he would preach in these synagogues, and he would begin to proclaim the word of God. And if you are hearing the words that Jesus is proclaiming, you would begin to sense that this is different, and that this is even good news. Because those that are in this town, that are in this city during this time, are under incredible persecution, both political, economical, and even spiritual. You see, the land that they are dwelling in is Galilee was theirs. It was their ancestors' lands. It was the Israel's land, but through Roman occupation, that land is now, they may say it's their own, but really it is not. To the point where Rome even comes in and through incredible taxation and incredible opposition that the land they then owned is now indebted to them because it's the only thing of which they can pay the heavy taxes that Romans put in. These people are oppressed politically, economically, and are spiritually oppressed. And so here's what's incredible. 
is as they begin to hear the stirrings of this rabbi on the same name, Jesus, this is what he begins to proclaim. And this is what they begin to hear first. That repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mark chapter 1, verse 4, 14 through 15, it says it a little bit more unique. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, here's where I've got to have some fun over the past few weeks. If you've been so lucky, I've asked you this question, what is the gospel? It's the same question I want to ask you because it says Jesus came in proclaiming the gospel. Gospel means good news. It means ultimately good news. But as I begin to ask people this question, even begin to answer this question myself, what is the good, what is the good news? What is it? Take a second. Think about it for yourself. What is the good news? Whenever I ask this question, some of the response is hope, freedom, salvation, forgiveness of my sins. Or if you were growing up like I was, it was like hellfire and brimstone that literally the good news is that through Jesus that you don't go to hell, but you go to heaven. But I want to beg the question here as we look here, what does Jesus say the good news is? What does Jesus proclaim? Literally the first words that we see him proclaiming as his teaching, what does he begin to say? He said the good news or the gospel is at hand. Go back to verse 14 there for us, Eric. Verse 14, it says, Now after John was there, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The good news of God. Saying, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. Everything up to this point, it is now a perfect timing. Here I am. I am on the scene. And here's what the good news is. The kingdom of God is at hand. In a million years, about a month ago, I never would have said, what is the good news of Jesus? I never would have said the kingdom of God is at hand. And as we begin to ask that question to many, many others, this is not the normal response. And so let's beg the question, why is it that this is what Jesus is proclaiming? What is it about these words that have so much power to right where we are? Well, if you were to summarize all of Matthew, Here's what's crazy is that he doesn't just mention the kingdom of God one time. It's mentioned over 50 times throughout the gospel of Matthew, over 50 times. And I guarantee if you've read through the book of Matthew, you skip these. You're like, oh yeah, the kingdom of heaven, that's where I'm going. Or heaven is where I will be one day. We begin to look at a future hope, not necessarily a present hope. But he says the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God. But over 50 times, what was Jesus all about? The kingdom. Well, what in the world is the kingdom? Let me break this down for you very simply. What is the kingdom of God? The rule and reign of God. It is the rule and the reign of God here on earth. The rule and the reign of God. Well, what does that mean? What does the rule and reign of God mean? And why is that such good news? We're going on a history trip for about five minutes. Stay with me here, okay? Because we got to get to the root of where does this concept begin? Rule and reign. If you have your Bibles, go to the very first page, maybe the second. 
Maybe the second. I'm not going to First or second page. Genesis chapter 1. Depending on how your Bible is and how it's laid out, it's going to be first second. For me, it's page 2. Page 2 of the Bible. Here's where it's incredible. Where do we hear rule, these words rule and reign? Well, it begins here. So God created man in his own image. Verse 27. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. This is you creating them. We are creating God's image. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In the very beginning of the gospel, we see that the creation that God has made, you know the answer to this, was good. And all that he created that was good, he then creates man and he says, you will be the ones that will rule and reign over all that is good, over all that is created. You will have dominion over all that I've created. You do not own it, but yet you are the ones I've created to rule and to reign over this. It was a great picture of what God intended for those he created. And notice it's the only ones that he was given only to the, to the humans was he given this authority. Now here's what's really, really challenging is that this story is of God as king defining what is good and not good. But if you go just a few pages over, you'll see that in Genesis enters a brand new theme that we have been battling since that point, and it is the challenge to God's rule and reign. Just a few chapters over, a serpent comes on the scene and he immediately begins to challenge what God said is good and what God says is evil. And he begins to plant lies of deception in Adam and Eve to the point to where they literally gave up God's ultimate rule and reign. They challenged God's rule and reign over their lives by saying, you know what, you're probably right. That fruit is good for eating. I probably really won't die. Let me just enjoy this for a moment. Let's just indulge in this for a moment. They chose instead of God's rule and reign to then choose their own. The rule and reign. It's the same for us. It is the same for us. This is the way of every single king, kingdom, and person since the fall is that we ultimately challenge the rule and reign of God. Ultimately, every single part of our life, this is where we are. But how does God respond? How does God respond to this hostile takeover of all that was good? He brings on the scene Abraham and Sarah. Through Abraham and Sarah, he says, I will create a new people. I will create a new covenant. And your people, your descendants will be a blessing to all of the nations. And you actually see throughout, throughout Genesis this incredible picture of, the, of God's blessing over them and God's guidance and protection, even to the point, if you've heard of Joseph's story, the incredible work of God and the incredible hand of God, even over Joseph's life. And it all kind of leads to this culmination point where the Israelites are multiplied and multiplied. They find themselves in the land of Egypt. And they are, they are loved by the Pharaoh at the time. But then a new Pharaoh comes in. And what does he do? He puts God's people into slavery. We put God's people into slavery. And if you've ever seen the movie, The Prince of Egypt, it is literally God's hand moving 
against this new Pharaoh that has taken over. And what does this Pharaoh say? What does he do? He does not honor God. He does not honor the Lord. And he enslaves this people. And here's what we end up finding is that his reign and rule then comes into a direct challenge with that of God's. And you see the incredible plagues that take place. You see all the death and destruction that happens. I mean, it is a cosmic battle for the ages. And here's what ultimately happens. God wins. His rule and his reign wins. And at the end of this moment, when, the, when they are literally set free from Egypt in Exodus 15, we get to hear the song that they begin to proclaim unto the Lord. In Exodus 15, it says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And then we see in the very end of this song that they're proclaiming over him, the Lord will reign forever and ever. They have been rescued from bondage, rescued from slavery, and begin to proclaim the goodness of God. They begin to proclaim the favor of God. And to the point to where they say, you will reign forever and ever. And what that means is submission. You will reign over us forever and ever. And we are happy because you are a good, good God. And here's what happens next. They're going to the wilderness. And throughout the wilderness, God begins to teach them, this is what my rule and reign looks like. And he gives them 10 commandments. They blow those. And not even 10, he begins to break it out even further where he gives over 630 commandments to the Israelites to keep and to honor. He said, this is what the rule of the reign looks like. But here's what you find throughout the desert, throughout the wilderness, is that the Israelites in the wilderness, even though they had laws, even though they seen God, they had God literally with them, the people he rescued didn't want to live under his rule and reign either. They rebelled against his rule and his reign. So what's God's response? Well, he almost kills them all. He almost kills them all. Moses intervenes. And he actually has, I told you all last week that literally a whole generation died in the desert because they rebelled and didn't get to go into the promised land. But throughout the promised land, after the promised land, we've seen good and evil happen continuously. We've seen judges, we've seen kings, we've seen prophets, all beginning to move and work through the Lord. And here's what I want to bring to life is that, is that even in rebellion, that even in, in disobeying and not wanting the reign and rule of God, what you continue to find is God coming back. This is really, really powerful for you and for me because in our rebellion, God is never too far. It's like God is still working. God is still moving. God is still doing something. And so you're never too far gone. You're never too far away to receive the goodness of God over your lives. And God knew this as well. This is part of his character. And so what does God do in response to their rebellion? He begins to proclaim the good news that the prophets, he used prophets to proclaim good news that at one time and one day salvation will come. If you go to Isaiah 52, 7 through 10, Isaiah 52, 7 through 10, he begins to proclaim this, Isaiah, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings peace, or feet of him who brings good news. 
Here we are again. Who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together, they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared all holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. His response. And then fast forward to where we are in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is on the scene. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus connects it even more. In Luke chapter 4, he begins as he is teaching just like he would have in the synagogues. It says, He came to Nazareth where he brought up and he was custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. Here's that word again. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And he, in recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He is reading from Isaiah chapter 60. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so here's what's beautiful for us as we end our history journey is that the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, the good news of his rule and reign has been something that God has been working all the way up until it says the time is now fulfilled, until Jesus has come. And so what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is good news. It is the reign and rule of God that has now come. And Jesus is the one that is bringing forth. Jesus is the one that is bringing forth His kingdom. And here's what I want to proclaim is that His kingdom is good. His kingdom is good. See, among our rebellion, among the world of which we live, what we have continually talked about every single week is that the world is not good. That there is evil and that there is darkness all around us. That there is hate. That there is poverty. That there is brokenness. There is anxiety. There is pressure. There is all of these things in which the evil of the world has created. And he says, I come to bring good news that God's reign and rule has come, and it has come through me. So as we begin to ask the question, what is the gospel? Is the reign and rule of God is now come, that it is now here. And over the next few weeks, we're going to get to see what is the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5 through 7 defines what the kingdom is. And then throughout his parables, you'll hear him say, the kingdom of heaven is like. This is where we are. This is where we're learning. But for us today, Jesus' good news is that the kingdom of God is here. And then he adds two words to it in Mark chapter 1, 14 through 15, which is the question for each and every single one of us. How do we respond? How do we respond? When you first heard a preacher preach, probably at church, who Jesus was, you probably talked a lot about his death, his burial, and his resurrection, right? Which are so, so true and so good. But as we begin to hear Jesus proclaiming these words to the Israelites, 
He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, repent and believe. Let's have some fun with those two words. Repent. If I were to ask you to define what repent means, many of you would say that you are living your life in one direction, and repent literally means to turn. To turn, right? To run towards God, to return to God. This is maybe how you've heard that spoken. And I'm not even saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but there's a much, much deeper meaning to what repent means. You see, he wasn't saying here, repent of your sins. You actually don't find those three words connected at all throughout the New Testament, to repent of your sins. It always just says, repent. It always says, just repent. So what is the word repent? Well, there's a Greek word called metanoia. And it literally means to change your mind. And let me tell you why this is important. Every single one of you live by a set of values, beliefs that define how you live your life. Every single one of us. I could ask four simple questions and you will respond to those four simple questions in a particular way. And then you will live your life in how you respond to those. Number one, who is God? If you're an atheist, you say there is no God. So you live your life as such. If you are proclaiming that there is a God, then you may have to then question what does his rule and reign look like. So many of us say, well, well, there is a creator, but he doesn't really do anything with me. But you have to answer the question, who is God? Is there a God? Who is he? What's his character like? Who is Jesus? What is he like? You must answer that question. Then the second one is, what did he do through Jesus? The same one for an atheist say Jesus is just a good moral teacher. Jesus did not die because he was a good moral teacher. He died because he proclaimed that he was king of the kingdom that was here. That the kingdom of God, that he is the king. Talking to Caesar, right? Caesar is the only king at that time. He said, no, 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 I'm the king. I'm bringing forth a new king. That's what killed him. So you have to ask the question, who is Jesus? What did he do? So if you say that he came and he died and he was raised to life, that has paramount implications for your life because it has paramount implications for who then you are. That's the third question. Who are you? In light of what Jesus has done, then who are you? And then in response to that, what do you then do? The whole world, every single one of us has this philosophical response of what our meaning and purpose is in life. And Jesus comes on the scene. He says, I want you to rethink all of it. I want you to rethink all of it. That God is the creator. That God has been lovingly pursuing you. That is a part of his character. That he is also a loving and a just God. That he sent Jesus, his son, John 3.16. We love this verse. Not just to save us from our sins, but to bring the reign and rule of God that will restore all things. And so if this is then what Jesus does, then who are we? Well, you get to make the choice. Either repent and believe in this or to submit to this, his rule and reign, to submit to it or not. It's your choice. That dictates who you are. If you submit to his rule and reign, you are his ambassador. It says even further, you are his son or his daughter. Beautiful language. 
And then what do you do? Which we're gonna have so much fun with because I think there's so much more to this life than just living in the in-between of when you are saved to when you die and go to heaven and become like, you know, like just a shooting arrows or whatever, that there's more that we then bring forth his kingdom. We then bring forth his rule and reign. This is where we are. So those are the questions that you must ask yourself. This is what repent means. Change your thinking. Change the way you see the world. Change the way you see God. Change the way you see me. And then if you change your beliefs, if you can change your belief, you change the way you see God, Here's what he says then, is that then your life will be completely changed by what you believe, what you believe. You see, in this verses, darkness is a word that's continually used. Darkness and light, verses chapter four, 12 through 16, says that these cities were in darkness, even a shadow of death. This isn't like physical darkness. Darkness is, is connected to like an ignorance. You ever like walked around in the dark? You can't see, right? You cannot see. You are wandering helplessly. If you're like me, absolutely terrified. And many are. Many literally are. But you begin to walk around. So I want you to imagine that you, before Christ, or even you right now, it's as if you are wandering around in this world in darkness. You may think you have seen some sort of light, but yet there is no hope and there is no truth to it. So we're wandering. And then Jesus says that, or this says here that a light has come. And the light reveals all that is true. The light reveals all that can then be seen. So it's no longer you living your life as if there's cloudy or there's a darkness in here, but you literally get to have a light. You see clearly who you are, what Jesus did and who God is. But why do we stay in the darkness? The simple answer is we love the dark is that we love the dark. Every single one of us, why is this so challenging to us to repent, to change our thinking? It's because we love the dark. We love living the way in which we love living our life, not according to any truth that God has spoken, but to our own new truth. We like living our own pleasure for our own desires. And you can put all that together that we would rather live under our rule and reign than under God's. So it challenges us to the core whenever you repent, whenever you begin to think and see your life differently. In the shadow of death is a beautiful picture of where we are, of where the world is, but it also shows Jesus's incredible compassion, the compassion of the King and what his kingdom is all about. His kingdom is compassion. It is. He sees you and He sees me and our brokenness and our need and He comes to us. That God literally brings His rule and reign, which is good, to you and to me. And He just says, just repent. Rethink. Rethink how you see me. Rethink how you see this world. But oftentimes, we don't go past belief or we don't go past repentance. Oftentimes, we live in this cycle. Oftentimes that we know that we are maybe living in a way in which God has not called us to live or outside of his, what he is, even, even the Israelites, he called them to live in such a, in such a just way and they just didn't. And so there's a part that becomes very important to each of what, 
one of us is to repent and then to believe. Well, belief is faith. And faith is broken down to have trust and dependence. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith is never a feeling. You see, everything that we're going to see that Jesus does from here on forth is based on two words. It is proclamation and demonstration. Proclamation and demonstration. And so what does that mean for you and for me? Is to remit, to repent is to proclaim that Jesus really is Lord, that his reign and rule is good, that his reign and rule is over my life. And then the demonstration then is how you live. Your faith is evident. Your faith is seen. To have one without the other, it doesn't work. It's as if proclaiming to be married, but then never acting like it. Every single one of them, what? That doesn't make any sense. Exactly. The proclamation of Jesus over our lives then is connected to a demonstration of who he is and his incredible power. We sing about the last song, our testimony. That is one of the ways that is evidence. It is a demonstration. But as we talk about being generous, it is a demonstration of what his kingdom is. That we take care of the poor. We take care of those who are in need. We bring light into the darkness. So the two are connected. And so here's where I'm, I'm trying to get to is that you have heard the gospel proclaimed your entire life as the forgiveness of your sins. And yes, there is so much truth to that. But Jesus, first and foremost, if you put it in a different perspective, it is about his rule and reign over this world. It is about his rule and reign over your life. And so at the core of it is to repent and to believe it. To repent and believe that his rule and reign is good. His rule and reign is here. And to submit to it. Beyond the sins you commit. Beyond the struggles that you have. It's just, can you just sit before his feet and say, I recognize who you are and I submit myself to you. His rule and reign, though, is good. His rule and reign is good. And I promise you, as I've seen in my life, and seeing hopefully in yours that it is. So in closing, we get to this point here. I began talking about me catching all of my hair on fire on my head, right? A moment that I will never forget, change the way I act. The question that I want to just continue to bring to life for you today is, how do you respond to the good news? How do you respond to this good news? Who is Jesus? He is this incredible good news. He brings restoration. He brings forgiveness. He brings hope. He brings peace. He brings joy. But I want to just challenge you today just to compare what you have heard to what you currently believe. Maybe today, this is the first time you've heard of the kingdom of God. First time you've heard of his rule and reign. How do you respond to that? How does that shape who you are? How does that shape your values? And here's what I want to say to you first and foremost is that you may proclaim, you say, I need more. That's not enough. I get it. You know what Jesus did throughout the rest of Matthew? He taught about the kingdom of God. And so here's what I want to challenge you with. If you are seeking out what does his kingdom look like? What does his reign look like? Is it really good? Open up the book of Matthew and just read it. And you will find incredible truth of what the kingdom of God is like. And we're going to continue to walk that out. But then secondly, keep showing up. Keep showing up to church. I promise you, we're going to continue to share about his goodness 
and his mercy and his grace because that's who his kingdom is. That's what his kingdom is. It is good. I promise you'll try the other kingdoms of the world and I promise you they will let you down time and time again. And so I just want to encourage you, just keep coming. Jesus, he kept teaching and teaching and teaching because the people couldn't quite grasp it and we struggle in the same way. But the second one I want to challenge you with is to respond and believe, to to repent and believe reorients both our mind and our steps. To repent and believe reorients our mind and our steps. You cannot fully grasp, or let's put it this way, an encounter with Jesus changes who you are. It does. To truly understand and recognize who he is will then change how you live. Proclamation and declaration, or demonstration, proclamation and demonstrations. And then lastly, I want to just continue to proclaim this, God's reign and rule in your life. It is good. And if you repent and believe that you will discover this, you will find this to be true. How do I know? Because it's been true in my life. And I can look around the room and I can see the evidence. I can see the testimonies of his reign and his rule. It is good. And so wherever you may find yourself today, I hope and pray that you just begin to dwell on this. I hope and pray that the Spirit of God literally begins to move in your heart and mind and begins to speak to you what I just could not. Begins to clarify what seems muddy and cloudy. That today you would sense and feel what this is, what the kingdom of God is, and the incredible call to repent and believe in it. Would you pray with me today? Dear Father, thank you for time together. Lord, in your house. And Lord, we pray, God, that your spirit would just go before us. Lord, that you would just begin to stir in our hearts and our minds. That, Lord, that we would begin to see a little bit differently, God, what you are doing. That, yes, you are redeeming people, God. You are saving people. But, Lord, you are doing it by bringing your kingdom here. That the rule and reign of God, that it has come, that it is here, and that it is good. And Lord, I pray that every single one of us would clearly repent, begin to see and think differently about who you are, be think differently about who we are, and that God, we would be demonstrators of our belief, that our faith would be evident in how we live our lives and how we walk this out, that what we have thought would change us so much that others would begin to ask the question, what's different within us? Lord, may you get the glory and praise in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.